I live the kind of life that other people would just love to live if they only had the courage. Who's to say that the boy would be happier your way or mine? No, I'm afraid it don't work that way. He'll grab at the first flashy thing with shiny ribbons on him. Then when he finds out there's a hook in it, it's too late. Wrong ideas come packaged with so much glitter, it's hard to convince them that other things might be better in the long run. That means that you're inviting me to leave. That's right. Iowa needs good dudes. And they're out there, even though the world isn't telling their stories. Fathers who fill their homes with dad jokes. Leaders who are building the world they want their kids to live in. Men who love the battle of virtue, character, truth, and goodness. I'm Colt Russell Dyke, and in this podcast, I'm convinced that the best dudes in the world live in Iowa, and I'm on a quest to find these dudes so that I can tell their stories. <laughs> well, Pop, thanks for joining me on the podcast. I, uh, I open up each one of these podcasts with a really simple question. And Pop, you can answer this question however you want to. But the question is, in your professional opinion, what's it mean to be a good man? I think that Cole is an ever, ever-changing, evolving skill, if I call it a skill. Hmm. Because yeah. you go through stages of life. Right. And as you go through these stages, everything becomes a little bit more complex. So, for example, back when you're single. Mm-hmm. I call them the two R's. Now, when you're in school, they always had the three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic, right? <laughs> reading, writing, and arithmetic? The three R's, <laughs> yeah. But with, with uh, the area you're talking about right now, uh, yeah. I call it the two R's. Okay. And that is respect and responsibility. Oh, yeah. Get those instilled, yeah. get them installed right as soon as possible into an individual. And then as you get married and you have kids, then all of a sudden everything's changing, becoming a little more complex. You're, you still have respect and responsibility is key. Yeah, yeah. You, can, you never outgrow those. Right? Correct, exactly. Yeah. But now you're going to be interjecting in things like teamwork, compassion, mm-hmm. compromise. In fact, the United States was built with compromise. Sure. So you got to yeah. have give and take. Yeah. And uh, so it, it keeps on becoming a little bit more complex. Right. But uh, by the time you get the grandkids, it becomes a lot of fun, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're with the grandkids. You're kind of done disciplining, and you just get to fill them with sugar, right? That's right. Load them up. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the respect and responsibility. I like the two R's. That's good, Pop. Um, yeah. I remember you were big on those with me. Yeah, I, I was. One memory that I had was every every time it, we were at a wrestling meet growing up. And uh, maybe another dad came over, or somebody came over and was like, "Dikey, your son's, a, you know, he's." He's a beast. On, he's a good wrestler. You would always say, well, at least he knows how to, how to give a good handshake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, that's what you always say. Yeah. I know. He knows how to shake hands. Knows how to shake hands. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. It kind of goes along with the respect thing, right? Yeah, it does. And humility, you know. So, yeah, no doubt. When, uh, when did you learn the respect thing? Is that something you developed? The two R's? Is that something you developed? Later on in life, or did, did your dad, did Grandpa instill that in you? I think it came at fairly early young age. Yeah. I mean, I, I was taught to respect your elders, respect people in authority, you know? Right. You know, respect is something you give. Yeah. 
Okay, you respect people in authority, you respect elders, you respect your parents, you uh-huh. give that. Now, right. trust is developed. That's the whole, that's the deeper thing. That comes right. with time. You got to develop trust. But respect is something that, that you give. Now, yeah. you might respect yeah. somebody, but t- it takes you time to trust them. You know what I'm saying right. there with that? So you, so, might, you might say nobody has to earn respect, but they do have to earn trust. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you respect a policeman, for example, because of the role that he's in, the position that he's in. Right. You know, you respect your parents and these types of things. So um, trust is a little more developed in time as, as by comparison. So there's this picture my dad gave me one Christmas while I was in high school. It's a frame with two different photos in it. One on the left is an old black and white photo of my dad getting his hand raised after a wrestling match. And on the right is a newer colored photo of me getting my hand raised after a wrestling match. And underneath the two photos, there's a plaque. And that plaque has four simple words on it. Like father, like son. Now, I haven't wrestled competitively for years now, like years, although I do coach the sport, and that picture still hangs up in my childhood bedroom. But regardless, I still think about that picture a lot, like a lot. And it actually makes me wonder, what does a good dad really give to his kids? Yeah, I think that distinction is good. So you you um you were you were a, a history teacher for thirty three years. You coached football and wrestling for twenty six years. You were in wrestling a high school state champion. You were a uh, two time place winner in high school. You were a two time All American for Wartburg wrestling. I guess the big question the big question for me would be how did you become the man that you are today? All those accomplishments are great, but like what formed you? As an athlete, you talking and, about in life? And well, you can you can start that answer by going back to your birth certificate. It's, yeah, it's up to you. Well, I first of all, I grew up on a farm, so I was taught I was taught responsibility, hard work, mm-hmm. and those types of morals, if you will. Okay, and uh, then I uh, went into high school. I had a pretty good freshman year. That's the first year I ever wrestled, actually. My sophomore year, I started kind of running with the wrong crowd, and I didn't have a very good year. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And then uh, I had a new coach come in. Your and, junior year? Yeah. Okay. And uh, he uh, he was really good for me. In fact, he uh, sat me down, talked to me a little bit, like I did on my high school wrestlers when I was coaching, too. Yeah. Like and, a, on a, in a one-on-one conversation? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I sat down in the basement with a lot of different wrestlers over the years talking with him about different things. But um, he was really good at helping me turn around. So my junior year, I, I got fifth in state, and I thought, well, that's pretty good because not many people from our school had ever gone to state and placed or anything, you know? Yeah, you guys, you didn't have a state champion, right, in the history of Nashua Plainfield at right. that time. correct. Or, sorry, Plainfield, Plainfield. Nashua, as yeah, you call it. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, just Plainfield, period, at that point. Oh, okay, that's right. Yeah, but uh, I... Uh, Got down to state tournament. I had a guy come up to me that was in my weight class, and he said, "Yeah, I always figured I was going to wrestle you in the finals." And I thought, "I'm 
not that good to be in the finals. I'm just glad to be at state and get a medal. Was that the first time that idea even got planted in your head that yeah. you could win it? Absolutely. Yeah. But I did, what I did do was I went home, and the next morning I got up, and I made up a sign that said, Think Number One. And really? It was about probably four feet long, about like this, and it said, Think Across the Top, and a big one. Really? I, I didn't it, know that. I pinned it to the ceiling of my bedroom, and I looked at that for 365 days. So <laughs> winning yeah, a state championship yeah. doesn't just happen by accident. It's right. the result of planning, strategically, goal setting, things like that to, in order to uh, make it happen. Yeah. So I, uh, that was really a ki- critical thing for me, I think. Yeah. I've always been very goal-oriented. Yeah. Even I get up in the morning, even today, and I make a list of things I want to get done. Um, yeah. back when I was coaching, I had my athletes fill out a sheet of, of goals and I said, I don't want you to make a goal of going to state. That's a bad, that's a bad goal. Right. Because, because you accomplish it and then you still have wrestling in front of you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you accomplish that at districts. You qualify for state. Right. I, I met my goal. So, you know, you, you take them through that and I, I've, like I said, I've always been goal oriented and, and, uh, I've enjoyed, uh, Seen the results of hard work, I guess, coming through that way, too. <laughs> yeah, I think that's where I got it from because I've got my, my planner right in front of me right here that's filled with all my goals and my agenda items and my action items. And, yep. But uh, the think number one sign. Yeah. Put that on your ceiling. You looked at it every night for yep. a year. Last thing I see every night when I went to bed. Did you, did you visualize it, too? Were you big on visualization or not really? Yeah, I used to do that with my wrestlers, too. I, yeah. I'd, I'd walk them through a meet. I say you're in such and such a gym right now, and you're shaking right. hands right now. The referee blows a whistle. You move left, you move right. You take a shot. What kind of shot do you take? you know, mm-hmm. and it gets to the end of the first period. It's your choice. What are you going to pick? So, I mean, when you do that visualization like that, yeah. what you're helping is you're taking some of those questions out of their mind that they weren't going to be maybe prepared for otherwise. Right. I mean, they're, they're thinking ahead of time that if I win the coin, uh, coin flip, Here's what I'm going to do. Yeah. So, yeah. The way I explain it to our wrestlers is I say, you win in your mind before you win on the map. Yeah. And it's, that's kind of where I got it from was that those types mm-hmm. of visualization drills. And I, yeah. you know, even, even in, uh, I'm, I'm 34 now. And, uh, even when I'm having a, when I know I've got a difficult conversation in front of me mm-hmm. or I've got a challenging meeting to lead a lot of times i'll i'll just i'll visualize it in kind of the same way so it ends up being a life skill that Mm -hmm. far transcends sports and transcends wrestling and so that's been really really helpful for me yeah i believe that i really can you see see it in your mind before it happens right right really key so you win in your mind before you win on on the mat i just find that to be true and then you look at that sign think number one for 365 days the State wrestling tournament comes around your senior year, yeah. And what happens? <laughs> well, I was undefeated going into districts, or yeah. excuse me, sectionals, right? And I got beat in the finals of sectionals. That's my one loss that senior year. I got beat two to one. And uh, why? Why'd I, you get beat? I think I was just maybe not. I don't want to say not prepared. I was probably prepared, but I. You'd, I'd rolled off like 30-some wins in a row, and, and you just right. get... You get puffed up? Yeah. You get puffed up? Yeah. Yeah. So in the long run, I uh, I lost that match. I came back, got second, went to districts, pinned my way through districts. Then a week later, I was state champ, so... 
Right. Got my, got, yeah. that, that loss maybe was the best thing that happened to me. It yeah. Got my, got my feet back under me. Got my head back on the ground, so to speak. So. Yeah. The, I find that ends up being the case is that a lot of times the losses end up being some of the things that are just most important to our mm-hmm. development on, on the way. Right. Um, it just, I mean, I guess it just kind of depends on how a person responds to loss. Yeah. So you responded by doubling down. I mean, you could have responded by being fragile, right? You could have yeah. been like, well, you know, maybe I'm not number one like I thought I was. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not in the cards for me. But instead, you doubled down and, and you worked harder. And yeah. you ended up, you ended up, what you did is you took that loss and you you turned it into motivation, right? Yeah, made it a good thing, you might say. Take a negative yeah. and make it a positive. And what was it like winning a state title? Oh, well, it's one of those things you jump in your coach's arms, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah, there's no doubt. that, Like you said, that was the first time Plainfield ever had a state champ in any sport. So that was a big thing. I mean, the fire trucks met us 10 miles out of town and police cars and everybody like that. And they had right. a yeah. rally at the high school at midnight. Right. And they rolled back into town. So, yeah, huh. that was quite the deal. Would you say it was all worth it then? Oh, like absolutely. The practices, looking up at the no- the number one sign. 365 times oh absolutely yeah it's, it's a thrill that not many people get to feel i guess to be really honest about it you know so yeah 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 i mean there's really only one person in each weight class who is happy with their wrestling career at the end of the year and yeah, that's the about state about champ the extent of it. exactly that's true very yeah. true and so you end up going to college you end up getting a, a wrestling scholarship at drake right here in des moines yes correct yep and you wrestle for one year at drake and then you're you're done wrestling at Drake. What what happened there? Well, I wrestled for a half a year because oh, I went okay. home for Christmas yeah. uh, that freshman year, and, and my dad had a heart attack. Well, we had a farm with 200 head of cattle, 2,000 head of hogs, 180, 180 acres of farmland. Right. Dad had yeah. a heart attack, so it ends up I quit school at Drake. I came home and took care of the farm. So from Christmas through the spring of the year, I was taking care of the farm. And then at that time, the Wartburg wrestling coach drove out to my house and said, uh, why don't you think about going to Wartburg? Mm-hmm. I thought, well, I do kind of want to wrestle in college. And uh, I was thinking about being a teacher. So I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. So that yeah, next right. school year, I began at Wartburg. Right. I was a student at Wartburg, full-time student. I was dressing as an athlete and taking care of the farm with the 200 head of cattle. 2,000 hogs and 180 acres. That was the year I kind of grew up. <laughs> well, yeah. Can you say a little bit more? How? I guess I'm just curious. Um, you never you never rubbed it in my face growing up, but I knew that story. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons why it was helpful for me to hear that story growing up is because that told me that it's possible to have much broader shoulders than you think you have. Oh, absolutely. We're yeah. all capable of things that... Right. We all underachieve, you might say. Right. You know, we're capable of many things. But uh... I stumbled into this while reading earlier this week, so I'm just going to quote it in full. Quote, becoming a father is the easy part. Countless men have done that. The hard part is becoming a good dad. Good dads show up, and not just on the birthday, but every day after that. He may lose sleep, wondering how he's going to provide for his family financially. He may have to work through his own emotions to help his kids work through theirs too. He recognizes that his family needs more 
than money and a roof over their head. He cares for them spiritually, emotionally, and financially. He pours out his life for them. He sets his eye on the finish line and throws everything else aside to run well. He prays on their behalf, protects on their behalf, serves on their behalf. Good dads don't just parent their kids, they father them. As a young pastor and a young coach and a young dad, I'm just beginning to see how rare it is to have grown up with a good father. Countless church members pour out laments over their own father wounds to me. Countless athletes I coach shake their heads and say nothing when I ask them how their relationship with their dad is. And the concept that people have coined to describe this phenomenon is father hunger. Father hunger, like there's a real lasting hunger within children who grow up with absent dads. Um, Robert Bly, in his book, Iron John, describes this phenomenon in just a little bit different light. He talks about how the Industrial Revolution, for all of the good things it brought to us, also ripped the work of the Father out of the sight of the Son. And since the Son no longer got to witness how his Father's work impacted the world for good, naturally, the boy begins to wonder, where is my dad and why doesn't he love me? And somewhere along the way, Bly says that a hole opens up in the psyche and that hole in the psyche is eventually filled with demons. Now, Bly, he, he's not a Christian, so he's, he's talking metaphorically here. The image he's using of a, of a void being filled with demons is meant to construct the idea, convey the idea that when a father isn't present, the boy tends to imagine that his dad is doing the worst possible thing imaginable. And the most haunting way this has ever been described to me is by one of my best friends. His father literally left him at a young age, and a lot of times I just wonder how this guy became such a good man, and that's maybe for another discussion, but this friend told me one day that sometimes when he was growing up, he used to sit around and think, I bet my dad is having so much fun without me. It turns out that dads being present with their kids emotionally, spiritually, physically is perhaps the most important thing in the world. So how did you do it? I mean, being a full-time student is enough to break a lot of people these days. And you were running the family farm and on a wrestling scholarship on top of that. Right. Yep. I didn't waste any time, put it that way. Yeah. I used my time wisely. I had to. Um, but made it work. And then uh, after that that year at Wartburg, then dad was good enough he could come back and take care of the farm again. Right. So yeah. I was fortunate that way. So it was a quote about a year and a half of my life that uh i was involved in that operation like that but uh what were you waking up at five or five a.m every morning and doing farm stuff then going to school then wrestling yeah i had to do chores before i went to school yeah and then i would have wrestling practice till six six thirty and then i came home and did chores again so okay yeah 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 what was your big lesson that you took away from that that year year and a half if you had to distill it in a single lesson 
that I was really glad when it's all done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so you you end up wrestling at Wartburg for the next couple of years, and right. it's funny to me to think about the fact that that almost never happened because. I grew up and you wore you wore orange almost every day, you know, yeah. Wartburg wrestling. Be orange. You're a big Wartburg Knights yeah. guy and that almost yeah. didn't happen. So, you ended up having a great 3 years there? Oh, d definitely. They really were. I mean, the teammates I had were good. I never wrestled on Wartburg team that ever lost a dual meet. Out of those That's I think wild. we won 42 straight. That's wild. Yeah, and uh like I say I was surrounded by a lot of good talent. That's what helped drive me a little bit at Wartburg too. I mean, when I go in the practice room, I would say to myself, I don't want to get taken down. I don't want anybody to get away from me when I'm riding, or I don't want anybody to ride me out. Right. You know, I set goals like that even in the practice room each night to help me drive me. Otherwise, you're just going through motions. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and you know, as good as your college career was, and it was great, you, you were a two-time All-American. Mm-hmm. Um, but your senior year, you had kind of a crushing loss in the semifinals. Yeah, semifinals at nationals. Right. Okay. Walk. What was that like? Well, I um, was wrestling a guy who got second the year before, yeah. and uh, I was ahead of him the whole match. I what was the score? Him. What was the score? I lost by one. Okay. But what happened was, I took him down. I rode him, rode him, rode him, rode him, rode him. Yeah. And I had five minutes riding time. Okay. Now, it's pretty hard to ride somebody for five minutes and not get a stalling point. So right. I had one or two stalling points against me because I've been riding him. Were they eight-minute matches back yeah, then? Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it ends up, there's eight seconds left in the match. I had that stalling warning, so I let him up. So I was still up by one oh. with eight seconds left, and I got taken down. No. Lost, <laughs> lost that match by one point. What was the takedown? I don't even remember anymore. Really? Yeah, I don't. But, uh, I mean, I dominated the match the yeah. whole way. That would put me in the finals of the national tournament. Jeez. And uh, that was that was a tough one. Do You probably don't, but do you remember what your coach said to you after that one? He was not happy. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I had my knee taped up because I'd sprained my knee a little bit earlier. Okay. He grabbed the tape and he starts yanking on it and... Coach, coach, take it easy there a little bit. And, and yeah. uh, he, he was kind of upset because he'd never had anybody make the finals before. So And you were going to be his guy, huh? Yeah. Uh-huh. Ooh. You, but you came back and you got fourth, right? Yeah, I got fourth that year. We had a really tough weight class. Yeah. The guy who got first was a Division One national champ, too. Right. The guy who got second was the guy who beat me, who had been second the year before. Right. And then uh, the guy that got third was a national champ the year before at the weight class below. Jeez. In fact, he was the outstanding wrestler in the tournament the year before. Jeez. So it was a pretty stacked weight, pretty loaded. Yeah, it's one of those weight classes where probably number two, three, and four, that would rotate every time you wrestled. Oh, right? I think so too. I really do. That's really true. Yeah. Huh. And after uh, after graduating from Wartburg, you end up getting to teaching and – uh, you pursue coaching. What what made you want to give your life to coaching and teaching? I don't know. I just when I was a junior in high school, I found myself thinking, ah, I think I'd like to maybe wrestle in college. Well, if I'm going to wrestle right. in college, what am I going to do? Well, I'd kind of like to coach. Well, if I'm going to coach, what are you going? You got to teach. 
Yeah. And I thought, well, I like history, so it all just kind of came together. I never, I never changed my my uh, thoughts or goals in terms of uh, my future once I had the plan set. And I stayed in the same same community the whole time too. Yeah, so. which I I think that's one of the coolest values that you passed on to me. It's just the desire for consistency and stability and rootedness. Well, it's it's one of those things that uh, you find yourself. I interviewed a few other times, different schools, but yeah. I always find myself using the bottom line of where what I want my kids to go to school at, not where I want to coach. Right, where I want to yeah. raise my kids at. So it ends up Hampton kept winning out, so I I yeah. stayed put there. So, yeah. I remember the story you told me about when you got a job offer from Lake Havasu, Arizona. Yeah. And we loved Lake Havasu, Arizona because grandparents lived out there. So that was where we vacationed out to. And right. so that was like paradise land for me. Yeah. And um, when I asked you, I think like in middle school, why did you end up turning down that position? Because it kind of sounds like a dream position. Mm-hmm. You told me I didn't want, <laughs> you said I didn't want my kid. Growing up too close to California where kids just waste the entire day on jet skis or something like that. You told me something like that. Do you remember that? Yeah, California kid. Exactly. (laughs) I know it. Because that's kind of the case down there. So Yeah, but you were dead set on raising me and Brooke in Iowa. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Very true. What What was the best part about coaching all those years, 26 years? Oh, man. Having the kids come through, seeing what they could accomplish and do. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I like in the case of uh, I had coached three state champions. Uh, within the past six months, I called all three of them, just talk with them, see how they're doing after wow. all these years. So, yeah. Yeah. So, still maintaining some contacts with them. Had one of them stop at the house somewhat recently, about a couple weeks ago. Which one? Gary McLaughlin. Wow. And what's it like catching up? Is that pretty rewarding? Oh, it's pretty neat, yeah, seeing after all these years what they've had for family and and uh, what they're doing job-wise and all that sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's really cool. Um, obviously, I, I loved my coaches growing up, and one of my favorite coaches in, in high school was Coach Struthers, and Struthers' assistant coach. Um, but just last year at the state at the state tournament, I'm coaching my kids in my, my blue – Blue Jays polo, you know, yeah. getting them warmed up right. for the state tournament. And on, on the side of the mat, I hear, dikey, dikey, dikey. And I look over there and in the first row. It was uh, their Struthers. So I run over there, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. give them a hug. And we just end up talking, 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 yep. talking, talking. And one of the coolest things he said to me was, I hope someday uh, when when you get older and your wrestlers get older, that you can have a friendship with your wrestlers the same way that I have a friendship with you. And that really hit me. I thought oh, that I can was believe really that. Cool. Yeah, I can. Yeah, there's there's quite a bond between uh, athletes and and their coaches and stuff. It's, I think it's especially strong in wrestling. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. So. And why give uh, why give your life to teaching? I, you know, when I retired from teaching, yep. I enjoyed the kids and teaching as much the last day as I did the first day. Right. Uh, you know, sometimes you hear about teachers that are burned out and all this kind of stuff that they hate the thought of going to work or whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. I never got, never had one time where I dreaded the thought of going to work. In fact, yeah. I taught 33 years and I missed one and a half days sick leave in 33 years. Yeah, right. So, I mean, there's some days where I didn't feel the best, but I still went to school because I just felt like I need to go to school. 
you know. So right. that comes back to the responsibility thing, you know, that I talked about at the top of the hour here. Right. Yeah. Do you think that so <laughs> guys my age, I hear them sometimes talk about the Sunday scaries. Uh-huh. That's what they call it. The weekend is coming to an end and yeah. they're dreading going back to work on Monday. And you right. never you never did. No, I never did. Do you think that's because you didn't fear hard work? Well, I I know I, I enjoyed what I did. Yeah. You know, and you know, if you enjoy what you do, it becomes contagious to the group. Right. I mean, you've got to walk into a practice room in wrestling, for example, with enthusiasm and energy because they'll feed off that. Mm-hmm. And I think at the same time, the kids in the classroom will know that you enjoy what you're doing as compared to you hate your job. Right. That's It's pretty transparent. Yeah, kids can feel the temperature difference. Mm-hmm. Yes, they can. They can feel the difference between duty and delight. Mm-hmm. He's right. doing it for a paycheck versus he's doing this because he thinks that this can change my life. Right. That's very true. I agree. I agree. Yeah. You know, what, you know one of the one of the things that you've instilled in me is um, the value of work hard, play hard. I feel like yep. that was one of your big mottos growing up. Yep. I've you know I I talk to my kids about this too. I, mm-hmm. You know I ask Russell what's hard work. He says. Um, I say, what's hard work? And he says, fun. And I say, what's fun? And he says, hard work. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's a biological reason for that. You know, your, your brain is designed in such a way that it refuses to give you the feel-good chemicals mm-hmm. unless you work hard. Mm-hmm. And then it releases them. And so yeah. I, just, I just think, yeah, maybe the ability to take on hard work, knowing that that's the pathway to happiness, can make a difference between whether or not someone – hates their job and loves their job. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm just thinking out loud here. Yeah, but, I mean, you're right. I mean, at the end of a wrestling practice, when you walk into the locker room, you take that T-shirt off, and it goes splat on the floor. Right, You, yeah, you got yeah. a feeling, it's almost euphoric, that I've, I've worked out really hard and I've had a good practice, and you feel like I feel good about it. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a hard feeling to beat, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a hard feeling to beat. And yes, so, it is. You give your life to teaching. You give your life to coaching. You also um, end up having a couple kids along the way. Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm one of them, and then you got Brooke on the other hand. What, what was uh, – well, actually, how about this? When I tell my life story, I usually reference the fact that when I was born and came back from the hospital, I had baby wrestling shoes hanging on my crib. That is correct. Why, why did you want to raise me in, in the sport of wrestling? Well, it – to me, sports is one of those last bastions out there yet that can teach dedication and hard work. Yeah. You know, not, not many kids have to do chores like I did when I was a kid on the farm. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, chores to a kid today might be, yeah, feed the dog or something like that, you know? Right, yeah. But um, when you belong to a sport like wrestling, for example, you're part of something good. You have to work hard. You have to be dedicated to make weight and get in shape. Um, you know, you, you teach, you're teaching some of those things that don't get taught very often in many other places. So yeah, I'm, I'm a strong believer in that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What's been the, what's been the best thing about parenting? Um, you've been a parent now for 38 years, right? I mean, what it is, is it's going to say a feeling of accomplishment. I mean, th- Maybe the, the greatest legacy we can have is our families. 
And by that, what I'm talking about is you look back and you say, my kids have been successful. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they have their family. They're raising their family. And, yeah, and right. you know, you, you have a great sense of accomplishment there with that. Yeah. How, how does that stack up to winning a state title? Probably more important. Yeah, yeah. Because state title is only about me. Right. The responsibility of the family is is so broad. I mean, you got the wife or the spouse, you might say. You got the kids, then eventually the grandkids and such. So, yeah. It's, I mean, that's that's a big one there. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, I, I'm curious. Did have I turned out the way that you thought I would, or? Has it been a little bit of a surprise? Just, You're about to laugh. <laughs> you can go ahead. Just be honest. Say what you want to say. Yeah, there's some, been some turns in the road. <laughs> but you've never hit a dead end, so. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, you had uh, a great career in, in sports in high school. Yeah. And uh, you went off to college and, and uh, went into teaching at Cedar Falls there. And you had one of the best teaching jobs in the state of Iowa. Yep. So we gave up uh, that one. I kind of wondered, scratched my head a little bit. What's this going to be? You were, I wouldn't say you were happy about that decision. Yeah. Well, not at first, but <laughs> you, I have to admit, son, you've landed on your feet. So you've done well. You've done very well. I proud of it. Oh, well, yeah, that makes me, that makes me happy. Um, you, you know, when I, I, everybody at Frontier, the church that I pastor has heard this story. One of the reasons why I'm so passionate about teaching and one of the reasons why I think teaching can change lives is because the most transformative for me, the most transformative thing for me growing up was being on the wrestling mat watching you coach or being in the classroom watching you teach. Mm-hmm. And you talked earlier about bringing enthusiasm in teaching and coaching. And you really, you can say that because you'd lived that and walked that mm-hmm. and really demonstrated that. And so when I was little, watching you teach and coach with enthusiasm always would elicit smiles from your athletes or light bulbs moments for your students and Mm -hmm. um so i always used to watch how teaching could bring joy and the deepest part of me thought oh if you can use words to help people experience joy that must be why i'm alive and so i i never i never i never second guessed whether or not i was called to be a teacher Uh my only big debacle was do I primarily teach English or the Bible? Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about being a pastor is that I still teach. It's just a different curriculum. Right. But it's more it's more public. And so you get to watch me teach sometimes. And sure. Is that is that a strange experience for you to watch me teach? Do you see yourself in me? Is that I see a lot of the mannerisms. Like we yeah. both when we both talk, we move our hands around a lot and speaking <laughs> yeah. with our hands you might say, you know, and things like that. Right. But uh, you know, we are as a parent, we're an inherent role model, whether you like it or not. Right. And, uh, you know, you were talking earlier about to be a real man. What's it mean to be a real man? To me, it's doing the right thing all the time. Yeah. Be- partly because you are a role model. I mean, you're using respect and you're using responsibility and all those different things we talked about. But it's not just doing it when there's somebody around. You're doing it when there's nobody around. You're doing it yeah. all the time. Right. So... I think that's that is a huge factor. And I think that's the best measurement of our character is not what we do in the public eye. Mm-hmm. Public eye, um, it's really easy to just kind of conform to people's expectations. Then, right. but I think what 
It's been, I think what Lombardi said, we are who we are mm -hmm. when no one's watching. Right. There's an old odd fable, but it's strangely helpful, especially when thinking about father hunger. So I'm going to tell the story. The fable is of a man having a dream one night. And as he dreams, he imagines that he's, he's running with a pack of she-wolves. They're out hunting one night together, and in the middle of the hunt, the pack of she-wolves pauses for a quick drink. And they go down to the river to drink from the river, and each she-wolf looked into the water and saw her own face reflected back to her. But when the man looked into the water in his dream, he had no face at all. There was no reflection staring back at him. Now, this has nothing to do about the lack of importance of a mom's touch or anything like that. That has to do with characterizing our entire society of men without faces. One psychologist who analyzes this fable says it this way. He says, quote, When boys are brought up without male father figures or male heroes, he will grow up to have no face at all. This is a psychological phrase, of course, and it manifests itself in many different ways, especially guys looking into the mirror in their mid-20s, 30s, whatever. Guys looking into the mirror and wondering, who am I? We need children with faces. We need men with faces. And so we need good dads. Yeah. So doing the right thing is Was there ever a time in your life when doing the right thing was hard? I, to I some sense, it's, it's, it's usually the more difficult pathway. Was there any yeah. decision you had to make that was really hard in terms of doing right? I'm trying to think on that. That's a tough question, Cole. Well, I've got a big sign um, uh, in the doorway that leads to the room where I train and develop our leaders and preachers. And mm -hmm. the sign says do right and fear no man and i i don't know i really like that yeah slogan it was kind of like don't tell a lie and you don't have to cover tracks you know yeah 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 it's really true yeah very much so there's not a moment that comes to mind for you about a really difficult moment where it's hard to do the right thing no i'm sure there's been but nothing that the top of my head that strikes me no i mean you, one of the other things is I think mentioned here is do you have regrets and I feel fortunate to go through life and say I don't really have any regrets mm, I, mm -hmm. I did what I wanted to do I did it as long as I wanted to do it yeah and then uh, you know not many people get to say they they've had the great things happen in life like I did yeah you know I mean I live in a community where I feel respected and uh, yeah I mean they named a tournament after me and Right, and a had couple, a banquet. Couple, right, and a couple different Hall of Fames and, yeah. you know, things like that. So I've been really fortunate in life. I mean, fortunate in life as an athlete, as a teacher, as a parent. I mean, I've, uh, I've been very, very lucky. And, you know, the thing I think that really makes me respect you even more isn't just that everything has gone well for you and that you've accomplished great things, even, even though you have. But mm -hmm. I remember a conversation that was really transformative for me, and maybe you don't even remember this, but I think about two years ago, we were talking about your knee surgery. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, your knee surgeries have not been a walk in the park. Mm -hmm. You know, you've had how many now? Well, this my left leg's had seven surgeries. So seven. So yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> it hasn't been a walk in the park. Right. And I asked you a couple of years ago if you could go back and um, and not wrestle, and you wouldn't have any knee problems whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Would you do that? And you said no. So you did. You don't even regret the stuff that's ended up bringing some pain on you. Absolutely not. You can't right. replace those memories. Yeah, you can't do it. You know, and they're worth they're worth so much. So, yeah, it's like a football player throwing on a helmet, knowing something can happen to me. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, they still are going to take that chance. So, right. Yeah, but you calculate the risk. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And true. um, in the character, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe what you're saying is the the character that you've developed and the memories that you've acquired have been far richer than the downsides of having seven knee surgeries, right? Well, I mean, the people I've met in life, uh, the parts of the United States that I've seen because of wrestling and athletics, all that kind of stuff, I mean, it's, it's just been phenomenal. I mean, there's not many times. Yeah. We went out to, uh, my, my wife and I went out to Brown Bottle and ate the other night for her birthday. Right. And uh, sat down in brown bottle, and the guy sitting next to me goes, what's new over at Wartburg? I wasn't <laughs> sure who he was, but he recognized me and yeah, started talking yeah. to me. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. What about being a grandparent? You've got five now. Yep. Five, five grandkids. What's that been like? Pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. It's fun. It's, it's, it's another phase in life that uh, it's, it is really a lot of fun because you're not the parent anymore. So you can sip them a little ice cream when maybe you're not supposed to. Yep, which you did the last couple of days, right? Russell <laughs> yep. and Jack. Exactly. Russell and Della. Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah, that's good. So it is fun. It's a lot of fun. No yeah. doubt. Yeah. Huh. Um, so how, how about this? Um, I'm curious to know your, your answer on, on this. Um, what's... What's been the biggest reward as you look back over your life? I mean, there's a lot, but what's the one that's been most satisfying for you? Probably meet my wife, because you guys would never have been there without her. Right. And wouldn't have the grandkids we do without her, so mm -hmm. I have to look at it and say it was, it was fate when I met her that night in Waverly. Yeah. Just happened to come in the right place at the right time, and, and everything took off from that point on so yeah, that's probably as good a good a thought as i've got on that that thought yeah D joe's nighthawk right yeah it was which joe's is where nighthawk. you proposed yeah it was that's where we met that's where i asked her to, to marry me exactly and um you end up getting married and moving you know hampton you buy a house and you you stay in the same community your whole life yep. you, you you stay with mom you um you're still in the same house, yep. first house you bought, mm -hmm. and uh, as a result, you. At, I feel like this has been a cool thing for me to watch. Mm -hmm. Is when I look at the life that you've built by staying put and investing your life into one community, you've built the life for yourself. Where at an age when a lot of people are maybe experiencing a lot of loneliness, you are rich in friendships. 
And so what's it been like developing friendships over your lifetime? Uh, we got a lot of friends. That's really true. And yeah. Dear friends. Right. Um, I remember when I was young, my dad used to say, always make time for your friends. You know, hmm. you may, maybe got a job you want to get done, but somebody stops by your house, sit down and have a cup of coffee with them or have a beer or whatever the case might be. Yeah. You know, yeah. take time for your friends. But um, we've been really lucky in terms of the friendships that we've got with so many different people. And uh, like we were talking about earlier, we went trout fishing a year ago, and we went with the Haberman family we're really close with. He's, a prin- he's been a principal over at Clarion for years. And you guys taught together for five, six, seven years in Hampton, right? Ten, ten years, yeah. Ten. Yeah. Right. And uh, we've been taking our, our kids out there trout fishing with them. And uh, we have such a good time seeing the, the kids bond together and get to develop the friendships or getting together at Christmas time with the families and things like that. So that's always it's a rich, fun thing to be involved in and see, like I say, friendships get deeper and, and continue like that. So, yeah, we <laughs> feel very fortunate. Can you tell me the goldfish story? Yeah, I could. <laughs> Tell it, tell it. I think for people who know me, this is going to explain so much (laughs) because I am just known in my circle of friends for being a pest and just pushing, 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 pushing. I had a good friend that that taught alongside me, and each day he'd come to school and he'd pack his own lunch. He had water from his own well at home, and and, uh, (laughs) we ate lunch together each day with about three or four other teachers too. So one day I uh, got a couple goldfish. (laughs) <laughs> and brought him to school. And went down to his room when he wasn't in there, and I dumped him into his thermos. <laughs> it came to be time we're going to eat lunch, and he yeah. dumps he dumps the water out in a cup, yeah. and he drinks it, and he goes, "God, this tastes like crap." <laughs> he, he actually used a little different word than that, but this sure, worked good yeah. on the podcast. This tastes like crap. Yeah, and uh, we kind of smirked a little bit about it, and then he pours more water in. Pretty soon. Couple goldfish drop his glass and he goes, Dikey, you SOB. <laughs> he knew right away who it was. Yeah, though. he did. Yeah. That's yeah, so funny. Yeah, we did a bunch of pranks to him. I mean, that's, years. and that's kind of the picture I grew up with yeah. is, you know, every time you were with your friends, you guys were always having a fun time, having oh, a yeah. good time. You were, you know, 10 p.m., it felt like the whole 10 p.m. on a Friday night, it felt to me like the whole town of Hampton was in our living room and you guys yeah. were wrestling around, telling yeah. jokes. And the same, same guy one time we pimped him too, like, uh, he, I went out on day we didn't have school, and he'd shoveled his driveway. And I proceeded to grab his shovel and shoveled all the snow back on the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> now, that was a lot of work, but I'm sure it still was pretty funny. Worth it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so just, I mean, just the other year, it, we go trout fishing with Haberman. And, you know, Jake and Joel, uh, Haberman's sons are, are, are with him. You know, Bob is with us. Yeah. I'm a, and uh, I, I kind of had a pretty powerful moment where it was late at night after after fishing. We were in a little circle in, in um, some fold-out chairs, and we were enjoying some whiskey, smoking some cigars. You guys were telling some stories that I had never heard before. And after telling a couple stories, there was kind of a lull that came over the group. And uh, I think Haberman looked at you and said, God, Dyke, we've we done good for ourselves. And there was a satisfaction that came over me when I realized, okay, this is what you can have if you stay put, even when things get hard, and continue 
to work where you're at and develop the relationships that you've mm-hmm. been given. Right. That comes back to, like I said earlier, doing it all the time, doing the right thing all the time, you know? Yeah. Um, again, we, we are examples to our kids. We're examples in the community, you know? And uh, it's, they all, everything meshes together to an extent. Right. Yeah. The way you do anything is the way you do everything. Right. This is the way I've heard it said yeah, before. That's very true. Very true. Hmm. So. So lots of awards, uh, coaching, lots of awards, teaching, some really cool rewards um, in athletics. But you feel like your biggest accomplishment has been the legacy that you've left in family. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I, yeah, I agree with that, too. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'd be curious to know um, someday, you know, Russell and Jack and Della are going to mm-hmm. be telling stories about right. you. What what do you want your legacy to be in their minds and hearts? Well, first of all, I look back at that and, and I say, you know, we only get to be a parent once. Yeah. So do it good. Do it right. Yeah. You know, that, that that's a critical thing. Um, when that other question you asked, what do you want to remember? I think something along that line. Yeah. When I was teaching, I had oftentimes parents come in and say, what can I do to help my kid be more successful in school? And I said, teach them to be respectful. If they come Mm. to school with respect, the whole system works really well. If they come to school with respect for the teachers, for the property, the building, for example, and the books and things there, and their fellow classmates, if they respect those things, the teaching system works really well. There's not much for issues. Yeah. But it comes back to, again, that, that word respect. Yeah. You know, respect people, respect property, respect uh, your fellow classmates. And you, you get along, education works. I mean, it's, it's a smooth system then. Right. Yeah, that's good. So th- is that one of the big things you'd, you'd love if Russell, Della, Jack remembered you someday? Is there respect for you? Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And respect for everybody, for that matter. Yeah. You know, I, you come back to respect. And, you know, in today's world, too, I'm seeing less and less accountability right. of, our, of ourselves. Um, you know, we're, we're getting to be such a lawsuit-happy country. Yeah. And we blame everything on somebody else. We don't take accountability for ourselves. Right. We're blaming somebody else because this happened and this happened. Well... Take accountability for yourself too, so it's a it's a never changing world, and we have to do what we can to try to make it as good a world as we can. Yeah, you know, on on the note of responsibility, I think one of the best things that the Bible has taught me, Romans eight says, God works together all things for the good of those who love Him, mm-hmm. and when you view life that way, you, you don't view yourself as a as a victim to life. You know, and that means that things aren't happening to you and poor me. Mm-hmm. Um, things are happening for you, which means that you can take responsibility for your life. Right. And I mean, I, you, you come back to, again, that deal when my dad had his heart attack. Yeah. It worked out to be a good thing for me. I mean, I, otherwise I wouldn't right. have been to Wartburg possibly, you know. And my Wartburg experience was a fantastic experience. So things can have a way of working out right, working out well. But... uh 
you, you got to work with them too. Yeah. And never, it's never in, easy. Never in a million years would you choose for that to happen to grandpa. Right. And yet it, it happened. And, and the yep. question is, what are you going to make of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably the hardest decision I ever made was later on years when my dad went to Minneapolis or up to Rochester for heart surgery. Yeah. And he had open heart surgery and, and he was on the machines and, and, uh, he wouldn't wake up, wouldn't come back. Well, I was POA, I had power of attorney and, and right. I, and I knew that his last will and testament was that he did not want to be left on machines. Right. So, I mean, the doctor said, well, he's not coming around. We don't know what we can do. And I said, have we done everything? Yeah. Because dad came up here to live. And they go, well, we could do an an open trach, see if he wakes up from that. Yeah. So um, I did walk over to the Sacred Gardens up there in Rochester and uh, did a little soul searching, praying that night. And I walked in the next morning. And I said, uh, Dad came up here to live. Let's take it to the last nth degree. Let's try this. Let's yeah, try that right. open trach. They did. He woke up, came out of it, and he'd lived for another seven years, and he got to see you wrestling on the state tournament. Wow. I had never so heard I, that. I was, trying to, I was tossing around the idea, do I have yeah. the machines turned off on Dad? Because he doesn't want to be on machines. But he, have we done everything that we can do yeah. to counter this so that was that was pretty dramatic but again it wow one of those tough situations <laughs> you stick with it and yeah. it, it worked out so we, he had seven more years of, of good life unbelievable yeah so you were praying the night before like and you just kind of felt a nudge or uh, well I, I like i said i was sitting there and i thought he came up here to live yeah have we done everything that's possible right if we have done everything we can do and then this is a different deal, but let's try it, try it to the nth degree. So it I worked didn't know out. that story. Yeah. I'm glad you told that. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Huh. Well, let me, I want to hold on to this conversation just a little bit longer. So I've got, I've got three questions I'd love to blast through. Okay. We can do it. Okay. Okay. So um, here's the first one. Uh, is there anything that you wish your father or somebody would have taught you about becoming a good man? Would have taught me. Yeah. I think I feel that he was instilling things all the time to me. Okay. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I, uh, I knew that when I was younger, if I did something wrong, I be, could be spanked. I didn't want to be spanked by dad. <laughs> yeah, I remember the night the night you came back uh, after partying. You yeah. got home at like five a.m. Right. And yeah, six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. How, and and what happened? I was walking up the stairs of our farmhouse, and the different steps would squeak and such. And we went up them, so he knew he'd step yeah. step on the right side here, it's the left side there, and the middle here, and work your way up the stairs. You so had the me. pattern memorized, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was working my way up the stairs, and I got to the top thing, and I made it. I'm really tired. I'm going to hit the sack. Dad's standing there at the top of the stairs, and he goes, son, let's go downstairs. Uh. So we go downstairs, and he sets me down at the kitchen table, and he pours a cup of coffee for himself, pours a cup of coffee for me. I said, Dad, I don't drink coffee, though. <laughs> and he goes, son, if you're man enough to run all night, you're man enough to work all day. <laughs> and then he made me yeah. move hay from one end of the hay, hay mount to the other and clean the hog house. And he gave me every chore he could come up with to 
try to what can I say? Yeah. Deal with me getting home late like that. So right. Yeah. Did you guys have a lot of father son conversations or? Oh yeah, yeah we did. We did a lot of conversation that way. Can you think of a father son conversation you had with him that was more important than that one? I've I've heard that one before. Yeah. though, So I think that was a pretty yeah that, that was, was pretty, pretty integral one there. Yeah, I know it. That was that's the one that obviously sticks out. There yeah, yeah. Many I'm sure along the way. So yeah. But quite the days. Those are quite the days. Hmm. All right, here's question number two. Okay. You've already told a handful, but I'm wondering if you have any others. Can you tell me another story about when you learned how to be a good man? I mean, obviously the one that comes to mind is freshman year at Drake, but mm -hmm. are there any others that come to mind when I ask you that question of, can you tell me a story about when you learned how to be a good man? Um, I think my parents did it a good job of teaching me ethics and morals, yeah. values, you know, ethics, morals, and values. Um, that I think they're, they're so important, but everybody's got different ethics, morals, and values, yeah. you know, but, uh, and a lot of times it was done in a, a way that it wasn't thought to be a lesson. It just happened. You know, right. te teaching yeah. by accident, you might almost say. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I think, I think a lot of it was kind of that way, Cole. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Here's my, here's my last question for you is, and, uh, and again, I kind of have Russell and, and Jack in mind. You know, mm -hmm. a pipe dream of mine would be, you know, 15 years down the road, they're listening to the, these libraries of conversations about – how to be a good man. And so you can answer this however you want, but the question I, I have is what in your opinion is the most important thing that young men today need to know about life? Hmm. I think the things that we, we've already discussed to be really honest with you. Yeah. If, if I come back to the respect, the responsibility, uh, compassion, you got to realize once you get married, it becomes teamwork. It's not yeah. all you. It's not all about you. It's, and you, you need to, like I say, have some compromise in your relationship or give and take along the way. Right. Um, but um, it's like one, one phase of it is not a fix-all. I mean, it takes a combination of things. It's like building a house. You can't build it with one board. Yeah, you have to keep on right. keep on getting more and more and more boards. So I think it's can be that same way. Um, I know. I hope that touches on kind of your question there, Cole. Well, yeah, you know, you've 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 built exactly the life that you wanted to live. Mm -hmm. You don't sit around and say woulda, coulda, shoulda. Right. You you don't blame other people for the circumstances of your life. You just kind of built the life that you wanted to live and right. yeah i like was it just determination for you that yeah how do you how do you build the life you want to live i guess i guess that's it's, my question you yeah. know it's it's one of those things you suck it up look at the positives not the negatives you you got to live life in a positive way I mean, yeah. like you said, I've had seven operations on this leg, but I'm not going to whine about it. Right. I got Parkinson's, but I'm not going to whine about it. I just 
keep my chin up, keep moving forward, keep on doing the things that I like to do, enjoying life, and uh, enjoying the people around me. Mm. I think that's it. I think that's the answer. Growing up close with my dad has given me some of the best moments of my life. Fishing trips. I mentioned the hug after my last wrestling match a few episodes back. Nights that stretched into the wee hours where he filled my home with all of my mom and dad's best friends and laughed deep into the night. Seeing him get inducted into the Wartburg Hall of Fame or the Hampton Dumont Hall of Fame or whatever awards he's, he's won throughout the years. These moments have shaped me and they've formed me. But none of those moments have compared to the gift that he's given to me in these last couple years. In the last 10 years, I've seen my dad battle Parkinson's. And let me tell you, teaching, coaching, wrestling, all these things are tough. They're tough. You line up against tough opponents, tough practices, tough days. But none of those opponents are tougher than Parkinson's. And yet, I've never, in these last 10 years, heard my dad complain. Instead, the way I've seen him respond is just awe-inspiring. In the midst of it all, he's continued to have deep relationships. He's continued to be a great husband to my mom. He's continued to be a great grandpa to my kids. He's continued to hunt and fish, all with a smile on his face. And here's the thing about winning awards. It's great. And he's won a ton of rewards, competing, coaching, teaching, you name it. Seeing your dad win awards impresses you. It does. It impresses you. But seeing your dad continue to live life to the fullest with Parkinson's, that doesn't just impress you. That empowers you. I think that's the greatest gift in our entire father-son relationship he's ever given to me. These last 10 years, whenever I have had a, a hard season, it's made me think my dad could do this. When I have a hard conversation or need to endure some small bit of criticism, it makes me think my dad could do this. See, when you get to watch your dad live well in the face of crushing circumstances, it helps you realize that joy really never is in the grips of your circumstances, but it can always be obtained. And now, Years after getting that picture on Christmas in high school, when things get heavy, I think four simple words. Those four words on that plaque, on that picture my dad gave me at Christmas so long ago, it's a frame with two different photos in it. One on the left is an old black and white photo of my dad getting his hand raised after a wrestling match. On the right is a newer colored photo of me getting my hand raised after a wrestling match. And underneath the two photos is a plaque. And the plaque has four simple words on it. Like father, like son. I hope you had a good dad too. And if you didn't, I hope you have a good pastor or a good friend who can process your fatherhood wounds with you over the course of a long time. Because these wounds, they... These types of wounds run deeper than you know. They run deeper than you think 
Trust me, I've seen men almost ruin their lives because of a subconscious drive rooted in father hunger. And if you're a dad, I pray that you want to be a good dad. Not a perfect one, but a good one. When it's all said and done, there's no greater gift you will give to the world than your presence to your kids. So I'll end with a prayer that my son and I pray together after we do dude school together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us the strength to be good men. Men who love well our mother, our sister, and our brother. Men who do the right thing even when it's hard. Men who love even when we are wrong. Men who pray with power. Most of all, Heavenly Father, make us men who strive after Jesus Christ. Jesus is the perfect example of manhood. Jesus is the perfect example of walking in spirit and truth. Jesus is the perfect example of service and sacrifice. And above all, we want to be men who love Jesus Christ. So it's in his name that we pray. Amen.